coming up on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, we catch up with Carlton's Tilly Lucas Rod, the Paris Cockerells, Fanny Mallette, and the Hawaiian Eagles, Susan Swink. Plus, Ali Schiller and Coach Kiwi are back with their regular segments. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel, Carnival via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. Don't forget this program is available as a podcast by going to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. So coming up on the show, we're chatting with Carlton's Tilly Lucas-Rod. They've got the big pride game against the Western Bulldogs happening this week. And you may recall last week we spoke to Brian Barish from the USAFL about expansion happening in that competition. Well, one of the new clubs is the the Hawaiian Eagles, and we'll be chatting with Susan Swink from that club. Plus, over the weekend, we saw the Galilea Cup played in France to mark International Women's Day. And joining us on the line from the Paris Cockerels to talk all about that tournament is Fanny Mallet. That's all coming up. Plus, Ali Schiller is back, previewing round four of the Sandville W competition and everyone's favourite segment, Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. But first, the latest AFLW news. First of the good news for this week, let's have a look at the nominees for Round 6 in the NAB AFL Women's Rising Star. Brisbane's Jackie Yorston and Carlton's Georgia G. You may recall we spoke to Georgia on the program a couple of weeks ago. The match review officer has handed out two reprimands there to the Cats. Denby Taylor, who's charged with off-conduct against Frio skipper uh, Cara Donnellan, and teammate Georgie Rankin, who was charged uh, with rough conduct against Frio forward Ashley Atkins. Some bad news on the injury front for the Frio Dockers. Defender Alex Williams, who you recall we spoke to a number of weeks ago on the program. She has torn the ACL in her right knee and won't be playing for the Dockers for the remainder of this year. Uh, the Giants Jacinda Barclay, she's still awaiting the results of scans on her collarbone, which she injured in a bump during last weekend's loss to Adelaide. And still no news yet on Kate McCarthy's nose, which of course she was all taped up after a cop and a whack on the snoz in the game against Carlton on the weekend. And that's your latest AFLW news. Big crowds expected to turn out this Sunday, the 17th of March at VU Witten Oval for the Western Bulldogs versus Carlton. 4.05pm bounce down local time. It is the second annual Pride game, but also this match being the last game of the home and away season could have serious implications on the semi-finals. Who makes it in Conference B? And importantly, who plays who next week? One woman who will be looking to make a big impact on the match was a 2017 NAB AFLW Rising Star nominee. She is Tilly Lucas-Rod, and she joins us on the line now. Tilly, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad at all. It must be feeling good to be back in the side. Last round against the Lions, 10 disposals, one goal, and more importantly, the four premiership points. Yeah, it was good. It was great um, for me just to be back personally. You know, it felt good to be back out there. But as a team, it was good to, you know, go out and play some good footy and get the win. So, yeah, it was good. Now, before we jump into present day, Carlton, let's take a step back through time for a moment. You actually began your footy career in Richmond in the uh, yep. yellow and black with the Richmond Junior Football Club. Yeah, so I um, I lived across the road from the Oval um, Citizens Park. So um, my brother was my brother's a couple of years older, so he played there, and I went down at Kick about four and played all my junior career there. Um, and it was a really good opportunity. Played with the boys, and then went to East Melbourne in the girls. 
um, which was good. And then, yeah, into St Kilda Sharks and the women's footy. 125 games you would play at uh, Richmond. Uh, in that time, you would win uh, two uh, third best and fairest awards. So you've done very well there. 125 games. They thought of you so highly, they actually named the Youth Girls Award after you. How does it feel to have the Tilly Lucas Rod Award at a football club? Yeah, you've done your research, haven't you? I didn't even um, know how many games I played. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's a really big honour to have a name, obviously, an award named after me there. Um, there was one for the boys growing up. I forget which boy it was, but we had a player that had played a couple games in the um, AFL men. So... Um, that was always a pretty cool award, and to have my own now is pretty amazing. I met a girl um, that's won it, and she was, you know, stoked to meet me, and I was just as stoked to meet her. Can you explain what it was like to move on to the East Malvern Football Club? This is when youth girls football was really starting out. Yeah, yeah. So I think I was about thirteen, so I was, and I'm quite small now, so I was even smaller back then, as you can imagine. And going into under 18s it was a bit intimidating because obviously I was used to playing with people probably my size. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty intimidating going there, but I was really good. I had Alicia Reaver as my coach there in the first year when I moved there, and obviously she now plays for GWS and is a household name. So it was pretty good for my football development to be able to play with um, underneath Alicia and with some talented girls that would be bigger than me, and it kind of got me used to, you know, being bullied a little bit out on the field. But, yeah, it was good. And, of course, uh, you would go on to have a very good career at East Melbourne. In fact, how's your 2014? Now, this is your last year of youth girls football. Best on ground yep. in the YJFL Grand Final. Your team was premiers, and you were league best and fairest. Yeah, um, I remember that quite fondly. It was pretty awesome to uh, yeah get best on in the Grand Final and win it. Um, it's for me, it was just about the team, though. You know, I love the girls I was playing with, and we had a lot of fun in that. And you know, to go out on a high in my last year of juniors is pretty special. And also in that year, you got the opportunity to go to the Sandringham Dragons Youth Girls Academy. Can you explain what it was like then? I mean, this is all pre-we knew AFLW was going to start in 2017. At that stage, we're thinking 2020. Can you explain what the thought was and the professionalism of the then Youth Girls Academy? Um, Yeah, for us, I think it was just we were excited to have an opportunity like that. Um, It hadn't been done before and hadn't been done much. And obviously, yeah, we had 2020 as our vision for AFLW. Um, you know, last night we had some of the Northern Knights girls down at our training and, you know, now that they get to play games and play a tournament back then, the Sandy Dragons was just a couple of trainings here and there. Um, it was still more professional than what we were used to and so, we, you know, we're really grateful for the opportunity but it wasn't like it is now. It was just a couple of trainings here and there. Um, but, yeah, now it's taken off and it's incredible. So let's go to 2015. You've finished youth girls football and you've got to find a club to play senior women's football with. As you said, you played originally with your junior football in Richmond. So by theory, the nearest club was Melbourne University. But you ended up picking the St Kilda Sharks. How did that come about? Um, From memory, I knew a couple of girls there. I think, um, yeah, I knew a couple of girls. So I decided to go down and some of my... um, other girls finishing at East Melbourne had gone down previously and were going down that year. So we just kind of found my way down there. So you found your way to the peanut farm. Can you explain what it was like playing alongside of, first of all, um, a then uh, legend in uh, women's football, Penny Kula reed the likes of Phoebe McWilliams, who'd obviously go on to start in the AFLW. Moana Hope was playing there at that time as well. You know, st- players that had already made themselves established names in women's football. Yeah, I think because I was so young and I didn't really know much about women's football at the time, I probably took it for granted playing with all those um, incredible women that you've mentioned. 
But for me, when I was young, I just wanted to take it all in and soak up as much as I could from these people. Um, obviously, I'd played a lot of football, but probably not um, at a high level. So I just wanted to soak up as much as I can could from those girls and women. Um, and yeah, it was really just good for my football development personally, um, being able to play alongside those girls and learn from them. Uh, during your time there, you had the opportunity to be coached by Sean Smith, a former AFL mm. player. Of course, we all know him from Melbourne and that famous mark he took in that, that game against the, Bri- took, yeah. Yeah, against the Brisbane Bears. Can you explain what it was like to be um, under a, a a former AFLW player and, and uh, pardon me, a former AFL player and um, what he brought and his unique coaching style to women's football? Um, yeah, I did know a bit about Sean because my family all went to the D's. So my extended family and they all gave me a big rap when they heard he was going to be my coach. Um, but yeah, so Sean is a lovely guy. He is just a great person and he does have a good nature um, about him. So he's very, he can understand women quite well and he was able to bring that um, into the Sharks. Um, he's obviously, he played and he was a good player. So he was very knowledgeable and um, yeah, so he was able to help us develop as, you know, at St Kilda and it was really good to have him there. 2015 and 2016 seasons when you played, the Sharks made the finals, but uh, would bomb out in the first round to Melbourne University. Can you explain yep. that 2017 season? It was the, what would end up being the last Sharks season in the VFLW and finally breaking through for that first finals victory when you knocked off Melbourne University at Coburg. Um, yeah, I think I just remember, you know, obviously for years the Sharks had been um, a formidable team in the VFL um, women's comp and we really... We hadn't had much success against Melbourne Uni, as we said in previous years. So, you know, we knew that it was going to be a big game coming into it and we knew that, you know, things were stacked against us. But we just fought hard and I think that's what Sharks had, you know. We just had a never-say-die attitude. So when we did win, we were all elated. It was an incredible, you know, experience to have with those girls, especially knowing that it was going to be, you know, we didn't know at the time, but it was our last year together. So it was just good to get that together and, you know, win that with the girls. Of course, you'd go down to Darabin just in a very close preliminary final yeah. loss. Uh, is this probably a little bit of frustration that obviously, you know, circumstances as they were, the Sharks could continue on in the competition next year? Did did they ever feel like it was unfinished business? Because from the sidelines, it felt like the Sharks were always a young team and they were just starting to get there. Yeah, we were. We, I felt like, you know, and I think a lot of the girls would say we felt like we were really building to something. And, you know, as you said, unfinished business, where could we have gone in, you know, the next couple of years going forward? But I guess that's the way that, you know, women's footy is going nowadays. We're trying to get more professional. So, unfortunately, you know, um, we don't have the opportunity to play at St Kilda Sharks anymore and kind of keep building. But, um, you know, for what St Kilda Sharks obviously are still around and they're, you know, still building to something. And I have a couple of friends that are still playing there and they love it still. And, you know, I'm sure the Sharks will have success in any competition they play in. So let's have a look to the AFLW draft. You're taking uh, 99th selection overall by Carlton. Up until that point, was there any inkling that you'd be going to the Carlton Football Club? Had there been any conversations, any phone calls, any sounding out? Yeah, so um, interesting. I actually had a meeting. I went for dinner with Damon Berg. Before the draft, me and Jazzy Garner and Bree Davey went to dinner. Um, after St Kilda Sharks training, actually, we went down to St Kilda for dinner. So I had a bit of a talk to them and then I went for a tour of the club. Um, and then I also met up with Collingwood. So it was kind of between those two. I knew that there was interest from both of those teams. But, you know, you never know for certain whether you're going to get drafted or not. Um, as I'm sure people say, you know, everything's up in the air. It depends who goes before you and things like that. So, yeah, I had an idea from those two clubs that they were interested, but I still didn't know for sure if I was going to get over the line. 
So Carden would take you and that would afford you the opportunity to be at a club that would be part of an historic occasion, that first ever AFLW match. What are your recollections of that day, day one of AFLW? Um, it's funny because, you know, looking back now, it's hard actually to remember it. I think it was all a blur of adrenaline and, you know, excitement. But I think look, being able to look back now, we kind of did take it for granted. It's a pretty historic moment, that first ever game. Um, and it's just incredible to be part of. And, you know, forever now I can say that I was part of the first ever game. But in terms of the game as such, it was a bit, you know, adrenaline took over and I don't actually remember too much of it. But, but I still remember running out and taking it all in, you know, sell our crowd 26,000 all. So, so, yeah, it was pretty incredible. It's hard to have expectations of a side in the first year of the competition because no one knows really what's the best game plan and we're playing 16 aside for the first time, etc. Coming around to season two, there was some expectations behind Carlton. I think out of the captains, I think they had chosen something like Melbourne and Carlton to face off in, in the grand final. Mm. Uh, you'd won your first two games, but in that second game, Bree went down with a knee injury. And after that, it all seemed to spiral out of control. (laughs) Can you give us an insight to to a place thinking what what was happening at that stage? Because you you had, there were suspensions in there. There was other injuries as well. Can you pinpoint anything that made you look, geez, you know, if maybe if this happened differently, the outcome of the season would have been a lot different. Yeah, I don't think you can put it down to one thing. Obviously, yeah, Bree went down and then we had some suspensions and there were some injuries and then, um, our coach had to take some time away from the group as well. So I don't think you can put it down to one thing. I think there was a couple of things that went against us. But as a playing group, you know, you still have to be able to play when your captain goes down or when some players get suspended. You should be able to still keep playing. I think we just didn't find that consistency um, of being able to back up the win. So I wouldn't say there was one thing. I Probably there was a couple of things that went wrong. But, you know, hopefully now we're building to something where even if things do go wrong, we're able to push through and, you know, find a way to win still. What are some of the things you think that your new coach, Daniel Harford, did behind the scenes, not just on the field, but off the field when it comes to the mental side of the game? Because they say something like, you know, the game's played 80% above the shoulders. What are some of the things that he did to try and turn the mindset? Because any side, in any sport, if you're the wooden spooners, things can be pretty miserable behind the scenes. What did he try to do to turn things around onto a more positive note? Um, Half got a wonderful character about him. Um, a couple of girls have said that. He gets that right balance of having fun, but also being able to take your footy seriously. And I think he was able to bring that, you know, bring that lightheartedness so girls, you know, were able to find enjoyment in footy. Um, and he talks about, you know, the arousal. So you want to be able to play your footy on and off the field. You want to be able to, you know, keep a steady state so it's not like up and down every week emotionally and then that comes out in the way you're playing. So he's tried to make sure, he's found this way to make sure that we're balanced on and off the field so we're not playing on adrenaline adrenaline every week and we're able to you know remain calm and keep consistent on and off the field it's true to say that a lot of your fringe players are are starting to perform well we spoke to georgia g a number of weeks ago it seems some of those players that were just finding their feet in season one are starting to come along in season two and you've added a nice spread of players as well when you think of experience jess edwards the former collingwood vflw captain and another collingwood player uh, millie mullane joining you Mm. yeah i think we've um you know, we've built a really good list. And as you said, people like Georgia G coming to their own, she just got a rising star nomination today, which is amazing. Um, you know, people are just finding their feet in AFLW. But we've also been able to, as you said, bring people like Jess Edwards, who is a fitness freak. And, you know, she goes hard. And then the same as Millie, she's a bull. So I think together our list is, you know, coming of age. Our younger players, and we built, um, we've got some maturity into the team as well. And, you know, we're gelling quite well at the moment together. 
You, of course, have got what I'd say is possibly the favourite for the NAB AFLW Rising Star, that we being sure Madison Press Parkers, who has been, uh, you know, absolutely sensational uh, this year for the Blues. Do you kind of look at it with one eye thinking, oh, geez, if she's, if she's just the tip of the iceberg of the uh, talent that's coming through in the next generation, we, we've got to pull a finger out here? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, in a way, I guess so. You could look at it like that. For me, I'm just excited, you know, being able to watch Maddie and what she can do. And some of the other girls, you know, I know Nina Morrison went down, but even when she was playing, what she was able to show, um, it's just exciting for women's football, you know. I mean, it is, it's good. It creates competition and, you know, spots in teams should, should be competitive, you know. You should always want to get better. But, you know, I'm excited to see what these young girls can bring in. And, you know, the girls now will have gone through pathways right from Auskick. So, you know, there's no limit on how good these girls will be coming through. And I think Maddie, you know, proves, you know, how good they will be. What do you put that down to when you see someone like Madison Press Parkers up close? What makes them stand out? Is it something like being able to use both sides of the body more comfortably? Is it being able to have confidence and the ability to back yourself no matter what you do? I think, yeah, Maddie, she can use her left and right perfectly. And she's done that from day one walking to Colton. She brought that. I think for her... Just having played so much football and at different levels, you know, local level, and then she was able to be part of, like, the TSC Cup and things like that. Um, for her, being able to read the play, she's played so much footy. So it's just in her second nature. She knows where to run, what positions to get to, and she's able to find the footy. And I think as girls come through that have played, you know, heaps of football like Maddie has, they'll just be able to get the ball. And that's what, you know, that's what she brings. She's able to get it, and then her disposals are great as well. You're coming into this game against the Bulldogs this weekend. Uh, you've got one foot in the semi-finals, but you've put an absolute full stop to that and guaranteed lock stock two smoking barrels in there if you do knock off the Dogs this week. How important is that to not only absolutely 100% lock in the position, but to have that little bit of confidence rolling into knowing you're going to be playing up against a pretty good conference A side no matter how that side of the draw figures out? Yeah, I think for us, we're just going to focus on, you know, getting over the Bulldogs first in that game before we look too far ahead. I think as a club, though, it's probably our biggest AFLW game today. To be able to win this game will secure us a spot in the finals. So we're kind of focused on that. And we know the Bulldogs always come out against us and play well. So, you know, we're going to be prepared and ready to face what they throw at us. It's also the Pride match, uh, the second ever one being played between the Bulldogs and Carlton. Uh, special Guernseys have been designed and uh, I believe will be available on both clubs' uh, websites. For you personally, uh, tell you, what does it mean to be able to take part in this occasion? I think it's um, really important. We've got such a big platform to be able to support things like this. Um, for us, obviously, it talks, this game's about unity and inclusiveness. And, you know, I was quite lucky when I came out that I had the support of my friends and family and my trans, like my process was quite easy coming out and, you know, celebrating who I am. And I know people, some people don't have that luxury. They don't have that support. So I think it's really important that, you know, we show that pe- people through this game and through being proud of who we are as um, athletes and as women, that it's okay to be who you are and celebrate who you are and love who you are. Um, and, yeah, so I think that's really important that we have this platform and we're able to, you know, show people that and be proud of who we are. Now, Tilly, you're still young. You're still 22 years old. I'm going to throw this number at you. (laughs) For Australian football games, by my calculations, you've played just a tick over 250 games. 
Oh wow! <laughs> does that amaze you when that's you look? A, that's look, a lot. Does that amaze you when you look back and, and realistically, let's say you're going for another ten years or so, you could be heading somewhere to three hundred and fifty, four hundred. Yeah, I think um, that that is a lot. I did not know it was that many. I think I've luckily, obviously, played through junior footy, so I was able to build all that. Now, with only seven, eight game seasons, um, it's harder to build those numbers. But yeah, hopefully, if I'm still playing, kicking around in ten years, maybe I can hit the three fifty or something close to that, depending on how big our and long our season gets as well. And finally, one last question, Tilly, as I ask uh, every AFLW footballer that we speak with, what does it mean to you personally when the phrase is spoken, Tilly Lucas-Rod, AFLW footballer? Um, yeah, look, it's pretty, that expression or that saying is pretty um, incredible. I think it's something that I always wanted to do growing up. I always, I actually just thought I'd play AFL. I didn't men's or women's. I just thought, you know, that's what I want to be as a footy player. I've played since I was three years old. Um, and it's been around my family since I was born. So to be able to, you know, hear that and be an AFLW player, I'm so proud of it. And it's something that I'll cherish forever. Well, Tilly, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best this weekend as you take on the doggies in the Pride game, the final round of the AFLW home and away season. Thanks, Tia. Thank you. To mark International Women's Day, the Galilea Cup was played in France over the weekend. That's right, Australian Rules Football being played in France. And one of the women responsible for organising the event is Fanny Mallet. And she joins us on the line now to talk about the day's festivities. Fanny, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Thanks for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football and RSN Carnival. Uh, first of all, the Galilea Cup, which is an all-female Australian Rules tournament, how did the idea for that come about? Well, it came about about three years ago. It was New Year's, I think. I was with my family, so only mostly only female and some friends, some foodie. And um, I think because we wanted to have more playing time for girls in Europe, we were like, we need to have a cup because that's the only way we're going to get um, like more than just one game or mixed game for the girls and yeah and then my grandmother came up with the name Gallia because it's an old name for France. And it was done to line up with International Women's Day it was held on the uh, 9th of March so yeah. so how did it come about trying to organise to have not only the, the Paris Cockerels play in the tournament but to arrange for teams to come from uh, the Netherlands, Germany and Switzerland? Yeah and even Croatia and Prague as well, uh, Czech Republic. Um, yeah well Think, uh, we have a, a sponsor called Bellucci and uh, St. Christopher's Inn, so they, it's a bar and a hostel, so they managed to help us get accommodation for everyone, and um, and with accommodation, it's a little bit easier for everyone to get down when it's kind of all organized already, so they just basically need to get the tickets, and once we start in to talk about the cup and uh, start talking to the girls about it, they were like, oh yeah, we really want to be there, and we'll get a team, and uh, plus, if you already have accommodation, that's awesome. So we'll just, uh, yeah, we'll just let you know how many are coming down. And they all pretty much join in. So it was pretty amazing. How many clubs end up taking part in the tournament? Uh, I think clubs about seven. And uh, the club joined forces and we um, split all of them into four teams. So it was two German teams, the Lions and the Eagles, uh, the Devils from Amsterdam and the Paris Cockerel. And then we put the extra players that we had in uh, that we had in those teams. Were you surprised, particularly by the Germans and the amount of players that they've brought along, and how fast their soon-to-begin league has expanded? Uh, considering they virtually started with just one player, an English woman in Lisa Wilson last year. 
Yeah, I know. It's, Lisa had done an amazing job in Germany. And uh, I think, yeah, I think it's all thanks to her that now they're about, I think, about more than 20 girls in playing in Germany. And I really hope they can make it into the IC 2020. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty amazing. And, they, and they're really good. Like I saw them play in, at the Euro Cup in Cork, and they're really, really good for new players. And talking about how they went, how did each team fare on the day? Uh, it did really, really well. Um, I think for the Devils, who were their first ever competition or even first of a game, uh, they were really good. They managed to score goals and play together. Uh, the German as well were like really good, especially in passing. And uh, the Paris Cockerels, uh, lots of newbies as well, uh, plus with some experienced player, and they haven't played a lot together. But they managed to, thanks to the amazing coaching, uh, they managed to pretty, yeah, did pretty well. Now, I believe it was the Germans, uh, one of their sides, end up taking out the cup in the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did the uh, the Eagles. Uh, when, um, so the fin- grand final was Cockrell's Eagles and the uh, Eagles won. They played really well in the last game. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we lost that final. But it was an amazing day anyway. So I don't think the results really care at the end. And, and Fanny, for yourself, your personal football story, how did you find Australian rules football? Uh, well, I've been in the club for 11 years now, the Paris club. Uh, I lived a year in Australia uh, for my studies, like 11 years ago, yeah, 2007 and eight, and never played uh, Aussie rule, never heard about it. And coming back to France, I missed uh, the Australian way. Uh, it's so easy to meet new people. And so I looked for a club in Paris and find this club. And I never wanted to play because I'm not very into team sports, but um, I really wanted to help out. So I asked what they what they needed and like, and they were like, we need money and structure. And that's how I start with the club, finding sponsors and getting a bit of an organization in all of this uh, team. What was the support like from the men for this tournament, considering unlike other tournaments when there's usually men's matches and women's matches going on at the same time, considering it was just an all-women's uh, team's event, uh, what was the support like from the men on the sidelines? Uh, it was absolutely uh, amazing. We had the team, so the team who uh, hosted the event was the Anthony Blues with uh, Stephen Ryan, and all of them were absolutely amazing. They go on tire and did the scoreboard the entire day. Um, plus, we had all the uh, cockatoos from the from the Paris team that were there as well, and they were super supportive because I think all the girls always volunteer for their games, so they really wanted to uh, to give back for once and do the same for us. So they were amazing, absolutely amazing. We had yeah, it was awesome. And I believe uh, locally for your Paris cockerels, the fixture coming ahead, uh, I believe, is the Leprechaun Cup you're going to be playing in in Belfast. And I think you've got the Champions League a couple of weeks after that in Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah, we do. It's a pretty pretty busy time right now for Pucci, but it's pretty awesome. So we're pretty excited to, especially going to the, uh, to the Champions League again. Well, Fanny, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Congratulations on a well-run tournament. And fingers crossed we get to see the second Galilea Cup played for next year. Yeah, of course. Thanks a lot for having me. Now, could you imagine playing Australian football 
in beautiful Hawaii. Well, we spoke to Brian Barish last week about expansion in the United States Australian Football League, and he mentioned about how a new club had started up, the Hawaii Eagles. And they've already got some women's players as well, which is fantastic news. And one of them had previously played in the USAFL with the DC Eagles out of, naturally, Washington, DC. She talks about the move to Hawaii and how the new club is starting up. It's great to have on the line... Susan Swink, who's based in Honolulu. Susan, how are you? I'm good. Aloha. Aloha to you. I think that's the first time ever we've said (laughs) aloha to anyone on a call because you're calling in from Honolulu. Yes. Doing a very uh, Hawaiian thing and sitting in the Costco parking lot because I just finished a big shop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before we find out how you got to Hawaii, we need to take a step back a, a few years to find out how you first got involved in Australian rules football. Right. So um, when I was, I moved to D.C. from Florida in 2015. And a couple of years after that, um, I'd been, you know, making friends and me- meeting uh, a couple Australians. And I got invited to a party, party at the Australian Embassy um, where one of uh, the D.C. Eagles was, enjoying the party and she said hey you want to play footy and I said we play footy in America (laughs) and she said yeah you want to play and she told me when practice was and I went and I've been loving it ever since how did that come to be considering if I'm correct you're something like in your mid-30s right now and I guess so many people at that age were thinking sports (laughs) passed us by and someone comes up to you randomly saying hey let's play a sport that they play in another country and oh by the way there's no pads and you get tackled and possibly hurt but you want to play (laughs) well um I had seen it originally when I met actually my first Australian friend probably gosh when did I meet him probably 07 and I just thought the game was super cool I, I watched and I thought this is a combination of all these sports it's you know, American football, rugby, soccer, basketball, volleyball, um, a little bit of Quidditch with the poles and the way they're set up and everything. And I just was like, this is beyond cool. Um, But I had no idea we played um, in the States until I met Molly at at that party. And uh, Molly and Liv, so Liv is the current DC Eagles coach. Um, They were both at that same party and convinced me that it was a good idea to go try it and it really was I mean it it is a full tackle sport and there is some risk involved in it but the rules are set up to be as safe as possible Um, and I think that's wonderful what's going through your mind the first ever training session that you've showed up to (laughs) Well, first, I couldn't find them because I was messaging Molly and I I wasn't getting through because she was obviously practicing. Um, And then I saw what looked like a rugby-ish ball and I thought, I wonder if that's them. Sure enough, it was them and I just kind of like, they were very welcoming. I I showed up, they taught me everything. Um, Danny Sue, he uh, used to play, I think, for Collingwood. Um, he was the coach at the time when I started playing and, um, we had another gentleman that was our, the, the women's coach. And so he taught me a lot. And so it, it was a, a huge learning experience. And in all fairness, I'm still learning. I did not grow up with the sport at all. So I 
you know, I'd say I barely know how to play, even though I've been playing for a little over a year. And you were thrown into the deep end. I think in your first year being last year with the uh, DC Eagles, you played a good dozen games. Yeah, um, I I was fortunate to be able to have the time and ability to travel as much as I did So, um, with the team. Can you explain your first ever Nationals? It's racing Wisconsin. By the way, it was only about two degrees Celsius when play kicked off on those Uh, mornings. A freezing, freezing cold tournament. But can you explain what it's like for a newbie showing up at your first tournament where there's a good 2,000 people that are showing up to play or officiate? Yeah, um, it was really, really exciting. Um, We'd been building up to it all year, and I... It was really neat to meet people from all over the country that play the game. And then not just the country, but people from all over the world because you have, you know, the people that are living in. Um, so we play the USAFL also has can- Canadian teams. So a bunch of the Canadian teams were down. Um, and then you have, you know, people that are living in the various cities from, from other countries, um, predominantly Australia. But we've got a guy, um, well, there's a guy on the DC Eagles from um from Norway so it, it's really a very becoming a very international sport so here in Hawaii um the DC Eagles or I mean the Hawaii Eagles it's, it's strange we're Eagles on both sides <laughs> both sides of the country um but the Hawaii Eagles are looking to have some tournaments with I guess the the Asian um AFL organization before we get yeah, to we're the, hoping to get some teams from out there. <laughs> before we get to the Hawaii Eagles, before you had to pack up and move across the country, as you say, what were your fondest memories of playing that inaugural year with the DC Eagles? Well, I'd say probably my very first game, which was actually at the um, Arctic Cup that was held in Malmo, Sweden. Um, I had never played a game, and so I was very nervous going into it. And, of course, everyone's super supportive. And what's really neat about women's footy specifically is that we pair up and we team with other teams. Um, A lot of the women's teams don't have quite enough people, so we typically have to combine teams. And so you you get to be very close to these girls that you – because you play with them, you also play against them. And so it's – uh, it's a really neat kind of dynamic. And so my first game, I got to play with some girls from New York, um, a girl from Minnesota, and learning the game from them as well as, like, my teammates that were able to make it was really cool. We did not win that game, um, but it was still super fun. Isn't that just a, a mind-blowing concept, particularly for people that are listening to our show for the very first time? Here they are, <laughs> hearing an American playing Australian football for her American team, but in her first ever game over in Sweden. Yeah, it's really bizarre. <laughs> Not everyone can have that story, but you would end up packing up from DC to move to Hawaii. What took you uh, <laughs> over the Pacific Ocean to Honolulu? Well, um, I actually had a really good uh, job opportunity come up, and it's very serendipitous that the Eagles here started two weeks before I, I landed in the, on the island. 
And how did you come across finding the Hawaii Eagles? Were you thinking at that stage when you were going to Hawaii, oh, well, that was fun, that was footy for a year, but it all comes to an end? Well, I had actually heard that Dallas was trying to, to start up and that they were having regular kicks. So before I had even gotten a job, I, I had heard that, that he was trying to start a team. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, even if I don't get to play on the regular, at least I'll get to go have a kick with some people and, and try and keep my skills up a bit. Um, and then he was able to, you know, actually register with the, the USAFL. And now we're a full-up team. We had our first game. Um, about a month ago, and I got to play. I, I arrived just in time um, to play in their the first uh, Metro match that we had here in Hawaii. Can you give us an insight into some of the numbers you've been getting to training, uh, both overall and obviously women as well attending? So we have not had a super large amount of women. Um, I've had between two and three, um, to include myself, at any given training. Um, but there are more that are supposed to be coming. Um, we had uh, Tessa Mudge just joined. Uh, she had some, um, she was out for a while, and then now she's able to, to come to training again. So she's going to be a regular. We're trying to recruit one of the other guys' spouses. Um, she seems a little not sure, but I feel like a lot of times people are very concerned about the, the full contact piece of it. And then they get in and they actually do the full contact piece of it and it's so fun <laughs> so much better than what you think it's gonna be you think it's gonna be scary but it's really just it's fine so um as far as male guys numbers we have had um i'd say the smallest practice was probably five or six and we've been getting upwards of uh, 12 or 15 so it's definitely it kind of depends on the week but um, growing, I would say. And what have the Hawaii Eagles been trying to do in the community to raise awareness, A, of the game of Australian football, but B, more importantly, to get people to come on down and give it a try? Well, Dallas is actually very good at the, uh, the social media. So we actually we have a pretty decent presence there. Um, we've got an Instagram account. We've got a Facebook account. Um, he's very active in, in taking care of all of that business. Um, and then we also, a couple of guys work at a restaurant called Downbeat, which is in downtown Honolulu. And it's a, it's a really cool kind of vegan-y bar vibe. Um, they play various types of music. They have live bands and whatever. And so we actually were able to um, get <laughs> the women's ASL games because that's in season right now. And so we have, Dallas has a pass and he was able to, project the women's games down there at downbeat so it was that was a fun time i think we'll continue doing that throughout the season both the you know men's afl and women's afl now as much as you're far away from the usa mainland your positioning in the pacific ocean does offer you some advantages where you're not too far away from teams that play in the south pacific and you're not too far away from teams in Asia. So that gives you the opportunity, once you start to build up numbers, of inviting teams from various different continents. Yes, exactly. We have already had some interest from the teams in Asia of coming over here to play. Um, and we're also hoping to set up some kind of a, a tournament um, with teams from mainland U.S. Um, and, and probably Canada. And then 
we've also, or we haven't directly been talking to, but there's a, another contingent of USAFL talking with the team in Bogota about getting a, um, what are we calling it, an equatorial cup going. So a couple of preseason events, just like the Arctic Cup, just to, you know, get everybody excited about the season and then geared up, ready for, you know, focusing on, on preparing for national. The USAFL Nationals are a little bit tricky this year for you because they're on the other coast uh, of the United States, on the East Coast, furthest from you in Sarasota, Florida. But what's the interest looking like amongst the Eagles about uh, flying over there, if not obviously as a full team, but at least as players to take part in the lower divisions, teaming up with other clubs? Um, I do think, I, I'm at least I myself am planning to go, and I, I think others will. Um, it will probably be kind of closer to game time when we decide who all going to, you know, who can participate. Um, you know, a lot of us have job obligations and all that kind of thing, so it makes it a bit difficult. And then obviously the expense of the, and the time of the flight. Um, but I, I think people will go. I'm definitely going. Well, Susan, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Before we let you go, if there's anyone listening online that is moving to Hawaii or knows a friend in Hawaii, where can they go to to find out more about the Eagles and when do you train? Um, So we train on Wednesdays at Kapiolani Park, which is down in Waikiki, um, close to Diamond Head. And we start training uh, around 5 o'clock local. And if you want to learn more about Australian rules football in Hawaii, just go to Facebook and search for Hawaii Eagles. It is easy as that. It's time to take a look at the Sanford women's competition. No football played over the weekend due to the Labor Day break, but we'll be back again for round four. And joining us on the line is the co-host of the Two Crows podcast. And no doubt she's crowing about the Crows position at the top of the AFLW ladder. We speak of Ali Schiller. Ali, how how are you? I'm absolutely stupendous and fantastic, and thank you for mentioning the growth. And <laughs> more than 7,000 fans, I think nearly 8,000 showing up at Unley yes. Oval for that uh, victory. And just quietly, the price is about Unley Oval. Maybe it's trying to wrest control from Nord Oval of being the Crows' home ground. Well, I must admit, being there, um, being there for the game, it was absolutely great. The condition of the Oval... There was plenty of trees and coverage around the ground for everyone to sit and stand. And it was literally getting packed to the rafters there, and the crowd absolutely loved it. And you could hear the crowd. You can actually hear the players. Even with all that crowd noise, you could hear the players talking to each other on the ground, which just added another element to an awesome game. Well, let's have a look ahead to the Sandfield W because we've got round four coming up this weekend. Let's kick off, first of all, at Ex-Convenience Oval uh, this Friday night, 6.45pm. It's the Redlegs, Norwood, playing host to Woodville West Torrens. Yes, uh, the Redlegs currently are sitting second on the ladder and only on percentage, and they do have three from three at the moment. Where we've got the newcomer, the Eagles, currently languishing there at seventh with zero wins. Um, just to give you some heads up on some of the leaderboard, from the red legs, you've got Hannah Dunn currently sitting second for disposals, Leah Cutting sitting third for tackles in the league, Najwa Allen second for kicks, Hannah Dunn getting another mention there, third for tack, uh, sorry, for handballs. Stephanie Walker for the Eagles, though, coming up sixth for disposals, and Sarah Perko Perkins is currently sitting third for goals on five, which, apart from a bit of wayward kicking, I'm sure she would actually be a lot higher up the ladder there. 
Um, and just to note there for the Eagles, they've actually got no one in the top 10 for tackles, which I found quite interesting. Um, and Steph Walker, second for handballs. So to me personally, I think the Red Legs will continue on their winning way. Red Legs just have to clamp down on Steph, Stephanie Walker. Eagles got to watch out for Hannah Dunn there and Najwa Allen, but I think Norwood will get up easily by 15 to 24 points. Let's head on down to Flinders University Stadium this Friday night at 7pm. It's the reigning premiers, the South Adelaide Panthers, playing host to the North Adelaide Roosters. Yes, this one should be a, a really interesting game here. We've got the Panthers sitting on third with two wins and North the Roosters sitting on sixth with one win, which I don't really think shows their true strength as yet. But when you start looking at how some of the players that the Panthers have got uh, going for them, we've got Zenia Kavoris. She's going to get mentioned here three times. First in disposals, fourth in tackles, and first in handballs for the league. And then you've got Montana McKinnon um, is second in marks and also first in hit-outs across the league there as well. An interesting thing to note there for the Panthers, they have five players in the top ten for handballs, which probably says a little bit about their playing style. Looking across here at the North Adelaide, we've got Nadia Van Berko's eight disposals and also four for marks and a third for kicks. Uh, Kelly Baltrop is second for goals. She's always a well-known goal kicker. Leah Tynan's first for tackles, coming in there with 26. And Jane Alschweiger is the fifth for hit-outs. So it should make it for an interesting ruck contest. And if North can do anything to stop the machine that is Zenia Kavoris, um, they might be in with a shot. And Nadia Van Berto likely for South. But I think South down there will keep their handball game going and they will come away with the win, probably again by 15 to 20 points. I'm tipping the Panthers. At City Manchester Stadium Friday night at 8.15pm, the West Adelaide Bloods play host to the Glenelg Tigers. Yeah, this for me is probably match of the round, so I'll probably put the kiss of death on this game now. But West Seas are sitting fourth on two wins. Tigers sitting on top of the ladder at first with three wins and a percentage. Up West Adelaide, Madison Newman um, third for disposals and Abby Ballard fifth, respectively. Chelsea Bitter was leading the goal-kicking for the competition and is also sixth for March. Interesting for West Adelaide, and one thing I really focus on is the pressure that they bring to a game style. Uh, Westies actually have no players currently in the top 10 for tackles. Madison Newman again gets uh, mentioned for kicks and Abby Ballard six for kicks. So Leah Swain is second for hit-outs as well for Westies. But obviously Madison Newman and Abby Ballard, they're the strongest of the lot. Uh, for the Tigers, though, this one's interesting considering they're top of the ladder. The Tigers have no player in the top 10 for disposals, which for where they sit currently probably indicates more a bit of a team effort. They have Hannah Crump seventh for goals. Again, I would say that's for a spread of goals across the team. Lucy Bellinger's coming in first for marks. Ellen Forster third for marks and fifth for kicks. Samantha Franson a fifth for tackles. And we've got Caitlin Gould and Jamie Norrup taking up sixth and ninth in the hitouts, respectively. So this would be an awesome battle, I think, of the right contest in there. Um, but I think the fact that Westies have no players in the top ten for tackles and handballs, or uh, I think if, if Tigers bring the heat, um, the first with the pressure in a tight contest, I'm actually picking Glenelg by seven to fifteen. But I would not be surprised if a little upset in a close one there for Westies as well. 
And finally, at X Convenience Oval, Friday night, 8.30pm. So the second of a double header there at X Convenience Oval. It's the Central District Bulldogs versus the Sturt Double Blues. Yeah, so Central's new kids on the block versus the new kids on the block last year. Well, but Central's already on the board. They're sitting fifth on one win. And the poor old Double Blues are languishing in eighth position with zero wins. Now, for the Bulldogs, we've got uh, Crowless with Caitlin Rosenswice, currently sitting fifth for goals. Caitlin Teague, second for tackles. Courtney Genson, seventh for tackles. Daniel Stewart, eighth for tackles. Danny Stewart, eighth for kicks. And Rebecca Catterall, eighth for hitouts. Then we move across to the double blues where we have Hannah Greco, seventh for hitouts, and Zoe Prowse, tenth for hitouts. And that's all I get to mention there for the top ten for the double blues. So obviously in there, the hitouts are the blues area of strength. But again, the tackling pressure there, three players in the top ten for the Bulldogs. Um, I'm picking the Bulldogs will get up by 12 or plus points there. Well, Ali, thanks again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. People, of course, can find online the Two Crows podcast and they can also catch you again next week right here as you review another round of the Sandfield W and possibly talk about the Adelaide Crows in the final series of the <laughs> AFLW. Let's hope so. Let's hope so, Peter. Now it's time for everyone's favourite segment featuring the woman who's played in excess of 250 matches of Australian football in the Sydney women's competition, assistant coach at the Darabin Falcons and on the coaching staff at the Eastern Rangers in the NAB League girls under 18s. We speak of Coach Kiwi, Lisa Kiwi Roper with her kiss of death. How are you, Coach Kiwi? I'm very, very good, thank you. How are you doing? I want to know how the post-match recovery was after you played Masters Rules football out on Marvel Stadium. Oh, look, it was a, a hugely exciting day. Um, for us, it actually started at 10 o'clock with the training session in the morning. And I can say that there were a few of us still um, hydrating of some sort at 1am at the Woolshed down by Docklands. <laughs> We won't suggest what exactly was in those liquids being consumed, but let's just say a good time was had by all. Just quickly as well, how was it playing out there on the surface on Marvel Stadium, albeit in a shortened game, before those AFLW matches with the crowd that was rolling in to obviously sit down and watch the the main show? Yeah, it was um, obviously very, very special, and we um, it was something we spoke about in the morning at our training session was um, we kind of went around and um, and spoke to everyone about what the day meant for them. And um, so we kind of just, I guess, got to see just the enormity of um, the feeling um, for Pam Andrew, who actually organised it all, and she's our national um, coordinator for female masters. She Her dream was obviously to play masters football, but to get onto a big stadium. And then when I talked to her about kicking a goal, she said that would just just you know be the cream of her dream. So um, there was a point in the game where I thought, how can I get the ball? Am I fast enough to get it and give it to her and set her up? And um, as it happened, without actually any real skill from my end, I had a little jaggy kick across that went and bounced up into her hands and she kicked the winning goal. And um, so I just knew that the emotion from that and it was the biggest celebration of the day. I think we actually all stacked on um, when Pam kicked that goal because we just knew it was so special for her, but for all of us being out there and I don't think it mattered if you played for country or metro, 
just everyone had an absolute ball. Um, and I have to say, we all adore Sue Alberti, but at some point of the day, she has asked where we come in. So we didn't get change rooms. We had to um, get changed in the gym across the way at Good Life Gym. So we came down through the driveway and Sue was waiting down the bottom of the driveway to go underneath the stadium. She shook hands with every single person coming in and thanked them for coming and playing. And then Nicole Livingston did the same thing when we left the field after a game, just thanked us all for our participation. Like, two real genuine humans there. And and they, you know, they watched the game and they were sitting on the edge of their seat for every mark, every kick, every tackle that the Masters girls uh, did on the day. We didn't convince them. We, You know, we did try to convince them, but we weren't able to get them out in the field. But, um, you know, two, two big names that were there supporting us were um, just another huge emotion for the players too. So, yeah, it was a very, very, very special time. And just two quick questions on that, because some of you were still sitting in your gear in the crowd watching the uh, AFLW matches. Did that help you recruit any possible players to the Masters competitions come this winter? Um, Hopefully it did. You know, uh, there was quite a lot of chatter around because it was a big bunch of us and amongst their families and um, the girls from Melbourne Metro, their teammates, there were a lot of them around. So hopefully... Other people get to see the atmosphere that we actually share amongst each other and um, the mateship. It's not, you know, we don't go out there to tackle hard or win premierships. There's no points in our competition. It's just, it's really about mateship and having fun. And um, so hopefully that spread throughout the crowd. And I, I heard, um, I think it was Kirby Fenwick, I think, from Kick Like a Girl FM. I think she said something about, um, you know, she felt some of that friendship and, um the, the emotion of the game and how well we all got on and the joy that we were having. So I'm sure people like her can't wait to hit 35 so they can come play with us. And finally, from my very biased point of view, how did it feel to be out there, not in that rubbish New South Wales jumper, <laughs> but wearing the big V? <laughs> Ouch. Um, I, well, I was captain of the country team. So um, that in itself is probably interesting. A Kiwi captaining the country team when I grew up playing football or grew up, became older playing football in New South Wales. But the country team was full of um, a lot of interstaters. So we had a few from um, New South Wales, I think four from ACT, a couple from Tasmania. Um, I think there was a South Australian as well. So, yeah, we were oh, Queenslander. Kelly was from Queensland. So, um so that was pretty cool. It was probably not so much of it country as such, but um, the um, in- invitation is really. <laughs> we'll claim them however we can. Let's have a look at the <laughs> AFLW and how your tips went for round six. First of all, you did tip the Dockers to beat the Cats at GMHBO Stadium, and you were on the money. Frio winning by 36 points. Yeah, how about that for a score? But, um, you know, I... Um, I was confident with them, and they didn't let me down. Good old Frio. Collingwood versus the Kangaroos. You tipped the Roos to win, and they did so by 22 points in the end. They did. They did. Collingwood um, put up a really, really good fight, and at um, one point of the game, they they were in the game. Um, I think it was half time. They were just down by a couple of points or a goal, I think it was, um, before the Roos took away and scored a bit more. Um, but, yeah, I thought – I actually thought – Collingwood might have got their first win. So I may have been cheering on the pie. You may have also been cheering from playing. 
you did tip the D's to beat the doggies by, and it, in the end, it was by one point. So you got over the line by the skin of your teeth on that one. Well, I did. I don't think I thought that was going to be quite so close, but what a what a cracker of a match that was! Um, and you know the steely nerves of Keegan Cunningham, boy, what a goal! So yeah, good on the D's. I know you desperately wanted to tip the Giants, but uh, the head won over the heart. You said the Crows win by about five goals, and you were right. Uh, Adelaide defeated GWS by 32 points. Yes, I um, I did the trip down to Adelaide for that one, and, you know, ever hopeful that the Giants would get a win. But Crows just, I thought they relaxed in the first half. They, they did look very cruising through the motion. And, um, and as they've done all season, they've just put their foot to the metal in that last um, quarter and just banged in a bunch of goals. So made the scoreline look a lot more than, um, you know, for most of the game. It was a very close game, but um, the scoreline probably reflects that they dominated the match and they kind of didn't really. At that point, you were four from four going into the final game, Carlton and the Lions, and you tipped Brisbane. <laughs> Falling one short of the perfect five, Carlton defeating the Lions by 16 points. Well, I mean, good on Carlton and, you know, from, you know, they play pretty well at home. But, yeah, would not have picked Lions to um, play two matches like that in a row. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm disappointing for the Lions on the road. But, um, you know, credit to the to the Carlton team and, you know, they've got some of their young stars are all linking up really, really well and playing some nice football, so good on the Blues. Let's have a look to the final round, round seven of the season, and let's see if you can finish off with five out of five. We begin with Friday night football, 7.15pm local time at UNSW Canberra Oval. A chance for your GWS Giants to play final spoiler. They take on the Geelong Cats, and a win here for the Giants could throw the cat amongst the pigeons, pardon the pun. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, Giants got a pretty good record at um, Canberra. Um, but the other thing, you know, and they're playing against Meg Mack, who now I think has got the most intercepts. I think she's coming number one in the competition for intercept marks um, and spoils. And, you know, I saw her winter. She's a downright solid defender. And, you know, they do some really good stuff there. Um, interesting bit is to, they're two better players for uh, contested marks in inside 50s, Maddie Boyd and Phoebe McWilliams. So hopefully the Giants know them well enough to stop them getting the ball, um, you know, perhaps a little more than what other teams have done. Um, the other thing is Giants have also consistently got a draw every year. So perhaps this is their draw game. Off the fence, off the fence, who wins? Uh, Cats by three. Let's have a look at Saturday the 16th of March, Melbourne versus the Adelaide Crows. It's all on the line, 4.45pm local time at Casey Fields. You know, I reckon this is going to be a real cracker of a match. I think, um, you know, obviously Crows, they can stay number one in the the, um, conference, but Dees have to win it really I think if they don't win it they're relying on another game to um, results I think from another game to get them through so I think these will just you know they've had two seasons of coming this close 
they're not going to want to do it a third time. Um, but I am going to go to the Crows. I just think they've got the um, the level-headedness, I suppose, around the field and um, and some real star quality. And perhaps that will be just enough to get over the experience these. Saturday night, 7.10pm Eastern Daylight Savings Time at Fremantle Oval. Frio versus the Kangaroos. Yeah, now I'm sure um, the tipping charts are going to show a lot of people going kangaroos, but I like the way Frio are playing. They're scoring a heap of goals, and I'm pretty sure this will be their last home game. So I reckon Frio are going to come out on fire. Sunday, the 17th of March, 2.05 p.m. local time at Victoria Park, Collingwood versus the Brisbane Lions. If Collingwood win, they avoid a winless season. If the Lions win, and with percentage, all of a sudden they're back in the question of whether they're going to finish top two, depending on other results in Conference B. Okay, so it's at Vic Park from, you know, I'm pretty certain the Pies don't want to be doing a nudie run. So I'm tipping the Pies for their first win of the year. Pies to avoid the nudie run. You heard it here first on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And, uh, well, you'd have no pride doing that, but there is a pride game, and that's the next game and the final game of the home and away season. The Western Bulldogs versus Carlton, 4.05 p.m. local time at VU Witten Oval. The Doggies cannot make the finals in any way, so they're looking to go out uh, on a winning note at Carlton, a win for them absolutely rubber stamps a spot in the semi-final. Yeah, now here I think um, I'm really torn with this one. Potentially it could be a draw. However, I feel pride games won't end in draws. They run out together, but they don't finish together. So, um, yeah, I could flip a coin, to be honest. Um I have a feeling Carlton are going to be really, really hard to beat. However, I think Bulldogs at home, knowing it's their last game, they're going to want to finish on a good note. Oh, I'm going to go Carlton by two. Oh, so last-minute swing going for the Blues to win that game. Well, Coach Kiwi, thanks very much again for your tips for yet another week. Let's see if you can finish the home and away season with a five out of five. Let's hope so. And that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. Don't forget this program is available as a podcast by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or SoundCloud and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. You can find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash WARF radio or on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash WARF radio. Until next Wednesday evening at 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, I'm Peter Holden, and it's bye for now.